0: Well, as we continue to stand this morning in reverence and respect for God's holy word, we'll be reading this morning from Colossians chapter 3, where Paul is writing there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I begin in verse 1 down through verse 17, and this is the word of our God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covenants, which is idolatry. forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father.
1: Once again to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be taking another look at verse 21, or at least the first part of 21. So we go a little bit deeper into this whole idea of mutual submission and what is it that Paul's talking about there and why is it so important. I had initially thought about, I think I may have said last week that I was going to move on into the second half of that verse, um, the fear of Christ. But that'll be a couple of weeks from now. Uh, we had had some good questions this week and I thought probably ought to take another another stab at this and get in a little more deeply on what this means and why it's important. And that's what I want to drive home today, why indeed this is important. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another, part 2. During culture wars and controversies, it's so easy of us for us to lose sight that all of this is actually about Jesus. Yes, we must rigorously pursue the truth. But our goal in all of it is not, or in this topic especially, our goal is not to uphold traditional values. Rather, our goal is to put Christ on display. Conversations about submission and headship should not be about preserving or restoring male headship. In other words, what I'm saying is that is not the end game. It is important. And we will be preaching that and upholding that in the coming weeks as we make our way through Ephesians 5. But that is a means to a greater end. So it's important, but it is the the means to a greater end. Headship, submission, those topics should be about displaying Christ, displaying Him to our children who see us do that in godly ways in our homes and to display Christ to the world around us. Yes, we must contend earnestly for the biblical teaching about God's order in the church and in the home. But our goal is not to show how we are the same as other conservative cultures. Our goal is to show how distinct we are as Christ's followers. Christian submission is unique. What is it that sets us apart from other cultures who practice male headship and the submission of women? What sets us apart from them? Well, submitting to one another. What sets us apart from those within the larger umbrella of Christianity? Those who reject God's design for men and women. What sets us apart from them? Again, biblically submitting to one another. Mutual submission in Ephesians 5.21 makes us radically distinct. And that's something I want us to take away today and to understand that this is about something bigger than the issue itself. The issue is important. And that's why we're going to teach through it, even though some people won't like it as we get into further into chapter 5. It is important, but... It is a means to a greater end, and the greater end is Christ, displaying Christ and showing how we have to be distinct in this if we are going to display Christ. You know, why should they look at us and see anything different than another culture that that practices the same basic idea? And so today we're going to look a bit further into what we started last time. Spirit-filled believers submit to one another in uniquely Christian ways. Spirit-filled believers submit to one another in uniquely Christian ways. This radically Christian orientation reveals how we and our relationships are being transformed. We should not be like the world. If somebody says, oh, you know, we can learn from this other culture. This other non-Christian religion. And and people say that. There are people in our broader circles who say things like that. And that ought to trouble us. Spirit-filled believers submit to one another in uniquely Christian ways, as I said. So... Doing the hard work of determining what Paul meant by Ephesians 5.21, the verse before us, it will yield rich results. What are those? The result will be this. Earthly relationships with heavenly character. Earthly relationships with heavenly character first thing I want to talk about today is this, that mutual submission comes from a careful look at the context. And you might remember from last time, what I and Reformed uh, pastors and commentators for, for at least since the 1700s, at least looking in the English-speaking world, have meant by it is not what feminists mean by that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more again. So when I say mutual submission, understand it in the way that Matthew Henry and, and others, you know, have used it in that way, and we'll talk about that. But mutual submission comes from a careful look at the context. It comes from a careful look at the context. So let's look at the Scripture and get the context in front of us, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 5, Ephesians 5. Paul said there, remember, do and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But Be filled by the Spirit. What does that result in? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Word studies can help us understand a passage of Scripture better. <clears throat> what can we learn from a study of the word submit here in the first part of verse 21? Well, the Greek word "hubotasso" is built from two words. The first, uh, the, the root of that is tasso, it means to arrange or put things in order, and it's used that way. We saw that back uh, on, on Resurrection Sunday, first Corinthians fifteen twenty three, Christ the first fruits and then those who are his at his coming, you're talking about the resurrection. There's an order there, and that word is used for order, for putting things in order. To that is added the preposition hoopa. It means under. So together, hoopa, tasso, Hupa tasso, has the idea of to arrange under or to put in order under. It was used for arranging list <clears throat> list items under a heading. And so if you're you're writing something and you have a list, and you have a heading. Okay, here's the heading for this list, and then you list those things under it. So those were put under it. It was It was used for arranging people under a leader. And you can see how that would come from that. So you've got a heading and and items, list items. Now we can apply that to a leader and then those who fall under them. When we talk about those who are arranged, if you will, under a leader, it can typically, it's used either to put them in subjection, so think here Ephesians 1.22, we saw that quite a while back, where God has put all things, all beings, everyone under Jesus' feet, in subjection to Jesus' feet. So it can be something that is done to them. But it can also refer to people voluntarily submitting to someone. And that's how it's used here in our text. It was also used frequently for appending something to a document. Like appending in in one of the ancient usages was that they'd have a proclamation that was written out and then they appended that to another document, to a letter in that instance. And so the idea there is you're you're putting it under that document and and appending it to it. Or if it was like a scroll or something, putting it at the end of. So still, it's under that document, under the, the content of that document. So the primary idea is that of arranging or putting in order under something or someone. Now, while the word for submit, hupatasso, it does not mean to obey. However, when we're talking about submitting to a leader, it can serve as a synonym. Uh, for obey. And because the the broader idea is submission, and a part of that submission, if if you're under a leader, is to obey them. But we need to remember, uh, and they're right in the theological dictionary of the New Testament, saying that in the New Testament, the verb submit does not immediately carry with it the thought of obedience. And so we have to be careful of that because what happens is we get in our minds that submit means always to obey. And then when it says submit to one another, what happens? Well, those of us who are in the, are the leader in a relationship, the husband in the marriage, the father in the family, uh, the elders in the church, you know, we may think, oh, no, well, we're not supposed to obey our children, for example, as a father. So it's helpful for us to understand that it doesn't mean obey, although it can be used that way in certain contexts. So the basic idea... or me okay, getting ahead of myself here. In the middle voice, which is what we have here, active is subduing someone. Middle is us voluntarily submitting. In the middle voice... Uh, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says this, that it has the idea of surrendering your own rights or humbling yourself before someone. Okay, so that is, is more in keeping to what how that word is actually used and what it means. Okay, it's surrendering your rights, which is what even when you're obeying someone, that's what you're doing. You're surrendering your rights. You are humbling yourself before someone. So the basic, the basic idea of the word submit is to arrange under, order under, surrender your rights, or humble yourself towards someone. And you say, okay, which of those do we get to pick? Well, no. You look at the context, and you see, okay, what are there clues in the context that help us understand which of those primary meanings did Paul mean if Paul's the writer? And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about some of those clues. But the context determines the use. The context is the authority. And the context restricts us. You see, we can't say, well, okay, then let me look at all the other ways it's used, and I'll pick the one I like. You can't do that. We have to look at the context. What does the context say and give, what is it, how does it guide us, how does it restrict us in the way that it is used? Another thing that we can learn from a word study of the word submit is that almost always it mentions a leader. Submit to, and then there'll be a leader or a power in the list items. There was a header, you see. There was some sort of a leader, if you will, that idea. So a clue for us in Ephesians 5.21 is this. There's no mention of a leader there. That is unusual. That would stand out to Paul's readers. they would go, huh? We always say, submit to, and then mention a leader. But that doesn't happen here. Paul's readers would not have assumed that submit in verse 21, not 22, but 21, they would not have assumed that it meant obey. And one of the things that that is important as I've thought through this, I realized that, you know, if we say that submit always means obey, and if it means obey here in verse 21, that actually will weaken our argument. Those of us who are coming from it from a conservative, and we would say biblical perspective. Why? We're going to talk in just a minute about one another. Okay? And so if it always means... Obey, we run into trouble when we get to the word one another. Because then it would say, well, husbands, you need to obey your wives. Parents, you need to obey your children. Right? So you see, it actually weakens our argument. So what we need to do is is keep digging, keep looking in the context and let it guide us. So as we hone our observation skills in Bible study, and that's, that's kind of an implied, you know, suggestion, right? So keep working on your, your Bible study skills. And in your observation skills, we can recognize other clues. So Paul says, as I mentioned, we are to submit not to a leader, verse 21, but to one another. The Greek word there describes some sort of interchange between persons. And it's used in a lot of different contexts in the New Testament, which we'll get into. There's some sort of interchange between the two. And, and to a, point, to a couple of points, and then we'll go to a couple of illustrations in a second. But two important points. One, one another doesn't mean that the interchange between the two people will be exactly the same. It doesn't mean that. The egalitarians, the evangelical feminists say that it does. That it's exactly the same. Okay, so if it means obey, then husbands, we have to obey our wives. That's what they would say it means. That if if one one is the leader, then the other one is also the leader. They say that that interchange is exactly the same. But they are wrong about that because it doesn't require, and actually in most cases it isn't exactly the same when you find one another used. And And I want to changed the word that I used I had a borrowed word and I called it reciprocal for what the, the feminists believe reciprocal and and after I thought about it more I'm like well there's a better term for it I think and I think equivalent equivalent remember you know if you've got you know thinking math or something like that equivalent is it's on the, it's the same on both sides okay the equation is the same on both sides right? And so that's what the feminists are saying is that it's the same on both sides, okay? And it's not that. So, what? And on the slide you'll see one another is is saying that there is some interchange between people. And so I've got four people on there, and I'm just showing the arrows going all over the place, right? It's because it's all to one another. And if you think about one another, that means you toward everybody else in the church. Right? So there's that one another going on all over the place, or should be. Right? With all the various one another's, this being one of them, submit to one another. And then, again, as I said, it's not necessarily the same interchange. It's not the same on both sides. So let's go to the next slide, if we could. Uh, And and here, and of course I updated it with the word I like better now after I thought about it more. Uh, Equivalent submission, the unbiblical uh, version of uh, what they call mutual submission, and they're wrong, is what you saw last time. And you can see how twisted that idea is. It's where husband and wife say, I submit to your leadership or I obey you. Okay, that's unbiblical. And the same with the kids, right? So mom and daughter, like, okay, I obey you. It goes both ways. That's what the feminists say. It should happen. Okay? I submit to your leadership. Okay? You know, know, hopefully you see, you know, people might, you know, with the husband and wife thing in today's world, you think, well, you know, maybe that could work. But, you know, the kids, are going to let them lead? I don't think so, right? And, And so you can see that that is not at all what the bible's talking about that's not going to work either talking about how it doesn't mean the same the exact we don't submit to one another in exactly the same way think about a husband and wife they are to submit or to love one another and there's that idea of submitting to one another but think about love one another okay a part of the husband's love for his wife in the verses that we'll get to in a little bit later is leading her that's a part of his love for her, is leading her. That is not her love toward him. Her love toward him is not involved in leading him. okay? But her love toward him, as she is told to love one another, and her husband is one of those one another's, right? One of those others. It's to follow his leadership. That's a part of her love toward him. So you see, they're not the same. Both of them are required to love. Both of them will be doing agape toward each other, but it's not exactly the same, okay? That's the right way to understand the word one another. A second important point about that word one another is that it doesn't mean, quote, only some of you. And I used to believe that. I'd heard this from a a teacher that I respected and still respect, but... uh, And they said that this only, verse 21, only applies to wives, children, and slaves, which come later in the passage. So when it says one another, they're just talking about those. And and I used to believe that because it seemed to make sense. But as I've gone in here and I've studied this, and thinking about the way that the word one another is used and what it means, that won't work. It doesn't mean that. It never means only some of you. Okay, so verse 21 is not saying this only applies to wives, children, and servants. <clears throat> the idea of one another, it, it's not focused in only one direction. It is not unidirectional, you see. So, to take it in the way that I used to hold would say that it's, it's not really one another. There's not an interchange. It's all one-sided. Only talking to wives, submit to your husbands. Only talking to children, submit to your parents. Only talking to slaves, submit to your masters, you see. He wouldn't have used the word one another if that is what he meant. Because one another isn't, isn't used that way. And that is not what it means. Uh, another reason why I went away from the idea of that borrowed term reciprocal for the feminists is that this Greek word for one another is a reciprocal pronoun. And you know, it just wasn't quite sitting with me, and I was thinking about that, and I'm like, yeah, okay, that because it is reciprocal, it is mutual, but it's not identical. Okay, the interchange in the one another. It is not equivalent. Okay, it's not exactly the same. Okay, number two. Mutual submission flows from the Spirit transforming our relationships. And we have to be careful not to lose sight of that, because that's really what's going on here. Remember, we, we, we talked about that. You have, in this passage, be filled by the Spirit. And then there are those five participles, which you grouped into four. Four things that result from being filled by the Spirit. Remember, there was speaking, singing, thanking, and then submitting, okay? Those are all products of the Spirit working in us, and we can't lose sight of that. So what he's doing is he's transforming our relationships because none of those things are they come natural to us. To speak to one another in Christ-like ways, biblical terms... Speaking the truth, that doesn't come naturally to us. Singing with joy, I mean, real Christian joy in our hearts, that's not natural. Thanking, that's not natural. We only do it whenever, you know, it's like, well, I better say thank you, you know, so I don't get in trouble or so that they keep doing good, right? But with the right motive, it doesn't come natural to us. And then submitting to one another does not certainly come natural to us. Think about this. Millions of people outside of Christ are able to submit. Millions of people outside of Christ are able to submit. What makes us different? Is Paul calling for something that, you know, pretty much everybody, everybody in the world can do? And a whole lot of them do? Well, well, What we do in submitting must be unique. It must be different. And what's different about it is this is the product of the Holy Spirit. And a reminder of that is this word, one another. Instead of saying, submit to your leaders, which if that is what he meant, that's what he would have said. That's easy to say in Greek, okay? Submit to your leaders, Wives, children, slaves, right? But he didn't say that. I'm talking about being transformed by the Holy Spirit. So first, I'm telling you, submit to one another. And then we'll break this down, okay? This one another is our distinctive. This one another aspect of our submitting is what sets us apart. And the Holy Spirit, as He works in us... He produces many, many one anothers, and we we you know kind of coin a, a term there and turn it into a noun. You know, there are a bunch of one anothers. You know, it's not good grammar, really, but if you if you've read through your New Testament very much, you know what I'm talking about. And what is the chief one another love? Yeah, Jesus established love, loving one another. ...as our core distinctive. Have you thought about that? Loving one another is our core distinctive. Remember John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you... ...that you love... hmm, ...one another. Even as I have loved you... ...and remember through all of this... ...what we're doing is we're imitating Christ... If you forget that, he's going to come back to it in verse 25, right? Even as I have loved you, that you also love, guess what? One another by this. And this is this, this is the core distinctive. By this, all men will know you will be distinct from everybody else in the world. All men will know that you're my disciples if, guess what? You have love for one another. So three times there in those two verses, he hammers on this idea of one another, one another, one another. So consider our many duties to one another and how they make us distinct. We're just going to go to the next slide and, and look at these briefly. And I know it's real small type for you, so... Um, and, and I know the guys in, in the teaching workshop—they're going to—they're going to come after me, you know, because I, I have all these exceptions to the things I tell them you can't do, right? Okay, but I send you the slides, so you can always pull them up later on your phone or your computer and look at these. Okay. So I've grouped them together by the kind of the similar idea first, and these are all one another's: love one another, serve, be devoted to one another in love. And then the next group, wash one another's feet. Remember John 13? We read that last time. What that means is humbly help your brother deal with his sin. Okay, and I can talk to you afterward if you don't remember our studies in, in John chapter 13 way back. Why that means that. But it's dealing, help, humbly dealing with your brother's sin or helping him deal with his sin. Along with that, admonish one another, confess your sins to, bear with, show forbearance to. Next group. Give preference to one another in honor. Regard as more important. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And that humility that really ties in with what we're seeing here with submitting. Be of the same mind toward one another. Submitting to one another. That's our word from our text. Next group. Pursue what builds up one another. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Seek after what is good for one another. So there's that idea of building up, right? Right? Next group, accept, greet, be hospitable to, have fellowship with one another. And then the last group, comfort, encourage, bear the burdens of, have the same care for, pray for, be kind to. You know, this is overwhelming, right? And it should be. You look at all those, it's like, oh my, you know, I can only think of one of those at a time and I don't even do that. Why? Well, that's because you need the Holy Spirit. This ought to overwhelm us. We ought to cry out, Jesus, I can't do this. Help! And He says, okay, I've provided the help. Here's my Holy Spirit. He's in you. Ask Him to fill you. And, and you can do these in His power. And that's really what we're trying to get at here. Third, mutual submission reveals distinctly, distinctively Christian relationships. Mutual submission reveals distinctively Christian relationships. And I hope that you guys are getting that idea, and from this last point you get that idea. That what is it that makes us different from everybody else out there who submits? I know it's easy to think in our Western culture... Where submission is a bad word, it's a dirty word, you should never say it. They probably banned it from schools and everything else, right? And so it's it's easy for us to think that, well, hardly anybody does that. And, you know, those of us in conservative churches are the only ones that do it. But think about the whole world. There are millions, probably billions of people out there that practice this. That are in other religions and other cultures. They, They practice male headship and submission of women. What makes us distinct? We have to be different than them. And so a third clue from the context helps. I've mentioned this already. Verse 25, as we we look a little more broadly at the context, because remember, this phrase submitting to one another in verse 21 is also serving as an introduction to the next section. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Parents and children, right? In verse 25, Jesus is held up as an example to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How did He love the church? Paul tells us He gave Himself up for her. He divested Himself of His rights. Philippians 2, 5-8. through he gave up his life for her because she needed salvation and he was the only one that could give it. Only through his cross could salvation come. And so Jesus is is set up there as the example for husbands and husbands, we are to be the examples to our wives. So if you want your wife to learn better to submit to you, husband... You learn how to submit to one another better, and you see, we are to be leaders in that. That's how it, if you will, trickles down. If you, you know, it, Christ has given us the example. Husbands, you're told to follow His example, and then you're to set the example for your families. What he's talking about here, though, in verse twenty-one, believers within the assembly submit to each other generally in humble service. And there's all sorts of, of connections that we find as we look at these verses, these different passages. Turn over to Matthew verse, uh, Matthew chapter twenty, Gospel of Matthew, chapter twenty, passage you are likely familiar with. Where Jesus calls us to humble service, He sets before us humble service, and what the what the setting is here in chapter twenty toward the end is that in verse twenty, James and John, the the sons of Zebedee, they they came and and you know it was actually you know mom you know she was speaking up for them and and they wanted the top two spots in Jesus' kingdom when Jesus would sit on his throne. They said, hey, we want number one and number two. We want those top spots. You know, and Jesus is like, okay, guys, you're not getting this. Okay, so let me help you again. Verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles... Lord it over them. That is submission and headship out in the world. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve... And to give his life a ransom for many, you see the connection there. He gave up him, he gave himself up for her. Ephesians five twenty five. Here he gave his life, a ransom for many, for his people. How do we submit to one another in the church? We do all of the one another's. You were hoping I wasn't going to say that, right? There are too many of them, right? Okay. Well, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on Him. You see, because they all go together. All of those, uh, those one-anothers, they, they go together. Because they're, they're Christ's example. And they're His character. They flow from Him. This is, remember, about displaying Christ to our children, to the world. That's what this is about. It's not just being right about the issue. Yes, we, we need to work to be right about the issue. But that's not the end. The end is to display Christ through the issue and trying to get it right. How do we do that? Okay, kind of looking at it a little differently. Put others' needs first. Look out for one another. Be willing to take the consequences to help the brother deal with sin. Die to self. Submit your time and your energy to serving others, using your gifts, uh, serving them, helping them. Those are the things that uh, that display Christ's character to your family, to the world, is, are these things. And again, think about John thirteen when Jesus earlier in that chapter, when he washed their feet. He's you know and they were kind of freaking out over this, especially Peter. And Jesus said, you know, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. He didn't abdicate his authority. Now, I am your Lord. I'm your teacher. but if I washed your feet, I want you to wash each other's. And of course he didn't I don't think he meant that literally. He was, he's talking there about helping each other deal with our sins. That's what that passage is about. And I don't know, Have you ever helped anybody deal with their sin? Is it fun? Is it easy? Is it pain-free? No. Sinners bite. Right? You go to someone, hey, brother, sister, right? You know, I've I've bitten people that pointed out my sin, right? We have to die to self and say, I'm willing to take the consequences to help this brother or sister deal with their sin. And Avery and I were talking about this um, earlier this week. He reminded me how the elders submit to one another. You know, we tend to think in terms of, you know, if you get to be the top dog, you know, you don't have to submit to anybody. That's the way the world thinks. And sometimes we kind of start thinking that way. But he said, no, the, the elders submit to one another. We show respect for each other's point of view. And we don't always agree initially. And sometimes even after we've worked through things, we may not completely agree on things but we show respect for each other's point of view. We try to view our differences from the other person's perspective. We try to be, and we don't do any of this perfectly, okay? So don't get that idea. We try to be observant to see, like, I think my brother needs to be encouraged. Or I need to bring the word to my brother and encourage him. And that's been, I've received that a lot, and I, and I need that. And I know the other men would say the same thing. But it takes time. You know, instead of just saying, hey, how are you doing? Fine. Okay, bye. That's our normal, right, in Western society, or at least American society. It takes time. Stop. You know, and if you ever say, how are you doing? I'm fine. Really? You know, at that point, you're opening the door, and you've got to plant your feet and start listening, right? You have to die to self to do that. It's not the just, you know, and past them in the hall. It takes time. And, and, you know, they may say, you know, I really need encouragement, or I need, you know, somebody to, to hold me accountable, and can we meet every week? Okay, and you're like, okay, my schedule here. And, you know, right? It's dying to self. We work to maintain humility toward each other. Uh, and again, This is only because we are to set an example for you that I mention this. This I'm not tooting our horn because we don't always get this right, okay? But the, the elders submit to the flock. Even as leaders of the flock, we frequently give up our rights. We subject our own personal needs to the good of the church, the good of the flock. We devote a lot of time and energy to serving the flock. Using our gifts, devoting time and prayer for each of you. We sometimes will give up a day off because somebody needs something. We'll rearrange our vacations sometimes because you're you're more important to us. You're Jesus' lambs. While we are your leaders, we serve you. And I, again, I only say this because we're supposed to set an example for you just like we husbands are to set examples for our wives and our children. John Stott explains that when believers submit to one another, they display meekness and gentleness toward each other instead of being, as he says here, aggressive, self-assertive, and brash. I mean, that's what comes naturally. But those who are filled by the Spirit don't do that. Those who are truly subject to Jesus Christ do not find it difficult to submit to each other as well. I like that. If we are able to submit ourselves to Christ, it's not that hard to submit to one another. We can do that. Matthew Henry described it as condescending to bear one another's burdens. You see, when you're bearing each other's burdens, it's not a matter of, yeah, here I am, you know, Mr. Strong Christian, it's I'm coming to you, I'm humbling myself before you to help you because your life might be very messy, right? Because my life is messy too. I know that. We're humbling ourselves before one another to help bear. Yes, you who are spiritual, yes, that doesn't mean, you know, that you come as, you know, this you know, I'm so strong. You come as a fellow sinner. And Paul tells us there, you be careful, watch yourself even when you do that. Condescending to bear one another's burdens, not advancing themselves above others, not domineering over one another and giving laws to one another, making rules for each other, that sort of thing. We must be of a yielding and of a submissive spirit. John Calvin points out how God has so bound us together in the church that we must submit to each other. And he says that where love reigns, There is a mutual servitude. And he says, I do not accept even kings and governors, for they rule that they may serve. That's really good. Even the top folks, they rule so that they can serve. Our submission is serving in love and humility rather than pride. Humble service with this one-another attitude. It doesn't come to us naturally, and that's what I hope we all take away from this. I'm not saying that the issues of headship and submission aren't important. They are very important, and you'll see that. You'll see at least my, my take on it when we come to that here before too long. They are important. They're vital. But there's something bigger. It's that which makes us distinct. I hope we would never be able to say, or be happy and comfortable saying that, wow, we can really learn a lot from and then name some non-Christian culture or religion. Cringe when people say that. People are out there saying it. I read something just this week to that effect, and I cringed. No, we're distinct. Why? We are to be distinctly Christian. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He makes us distinctly Christian. In other words, He makes us like Christ so that we can display Christ. And verse 21, we have to get this right so that we display Christ in a uniquely Christian way. In our relationships, in the church, and home, how do you need to grow in humble service? Think about that. How do you need to grow in humble service? I want to read another passage for us as we turn our attention to the Lord's table. I already alluded to this, but I want to read it for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. After calling us to a profound humility, thinking of one another as more important than yourself, looking out for others' interests there, the first part of Philippians 2, Paul says in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not... "...regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or for him to hold on to, but he he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and being made in the likeness of men." That is, sinners. He he was not a sinner, but he was made a man like us. "...and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Jesus is our model. He's not just our model. But He is our model. He's our model. And we can imitate Him because of what He did. We couldn't imitate Him. You know, liberal thinking, liberal theology, it says, oh, Jesus was a great example for us and we can pick and choose some things that we like that He said and did and, 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 and let's just preach that and He's, a, he's a, just a model for us. It's all. How are you going to do that without Him dying for you and enabling you to have this new life or giving you this new life and giving you the Holy Spirit? We can imitate Him because He saved us through the cross. And because of His work in dying and rising again, He was able to give us the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can imitate Him. But in all of this, we're called to imitate Him. Imitate Him in His attitude as He went to the cross and humbled Himself, emptied Himself and died for us. That's what we should think on here at the Lord's table as we meditate on it.